Let's pray. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies which you have commanded are righteous and very faithful. Help our zeal, Lord, because our enemies have forgotten your words. Your word is very pure. Therefore, help us to love it. Lord, we are grateful to you for this place. We are thankful for our brother here. Pray that you'd be with him. Give him the strength. Guide him through your word. Help him to preach it in a way that we may understand it. And help us to apply it to our lives. We are grateful and thankful to you for the things that you do, Lord. And um, we love you and praise your holy and righteous name. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. And I'll be reading verses 1 through 11. John chapter 12, verses 1 through 11. hear the word of God. Then, six days before the Passover, a Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, who had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There, they made him a supper, and Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. <clears throat> and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not, be, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. The next day, a great multitude... Oh, well, that's... That, oh, I'm sorry. Let me put my glasses on. That might help. <clears throat> As we saw uh, last uh, week before last when uh, Christ raised Lazarus. Of course, this was a display of Christ's power. And he had also done this in fulfillment of the hope of Israel and as a picture of what he does to the soul of man and conversion by his word, right? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
So we saw this, this imagery there when we looked at the raising of Lazarus from the dead. But this morning what we'll see is two proofs. First, we'll see a proof of Christ's power and then proof of his preeminence. Proof of his power is seen in verses 1 through 2. And this is a, a shorter, but let's read the text here. Proof of his power. Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. You can see the emphasis there. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table. One commentator notes that it's interesting how you have this distinct, uh, this, uh, distinct delineation. You have Lazarus, you have Martha, and you have Mary. And we don't know much about Lazarus, but the focus is on the fact that he is, he's well. Uh, Fernando made a point last night that I thought was interesting. He said, um, it's, it's really bad when you're sick and you don't want to eat. Right? That's a sign of very poor health. But Lazarus now, he's not only alive, raised from the dead, but he's sitting at the table feasting with Jesus and with all of the other disciples. Right? He is really in perfect health. And that's the, the point that John wants to make, that not only was uh, Lazarus back from the dead, but as it were, he's there at the supper as one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. So he's partaking in this meal. And what is Martha doing? Well, what Martha always does. She's serving, right? So she's gone from mourning her brother's death to she's back in her regular uh, spirits, right? Her attitude has changed, and um, she's serving the people. And Mary is doing what she always does, which we will see she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. But here Lazarus, of course, is proof and evidence of Christ's power, just his, his person being there. And many of the people come there, of course they want to see Jesus, but really their primary interest, as we read, is Lazarus. Like, There's no way that this guy's there. We know he was dead. He was dead for four days. And he becomes a point of contention for the people. A point of contention because now Lazarus functions as a sign of the power of Christ. And it's undeniable. So whenever, you know, Lazarus is walking around the fish markets, Lazarus is, I don't know, maybe he was a carpenter. Let's say he was a carpenter. He's working on something somewhere. Whenever they see Lazarus, for the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and even to all of the people, he is a walking billboard. And Jesus has power to save. And that is what we are too. That, that is what healthy churches are. Healthy churches are men and women who were dead in trespasses and sins who Christ has brought back to life from the dead and we are walking advertisements of Christ's power, of his power to save. And we should be a sort of a spectacle, right? When people start to hear, people should show up just wondering what is going on on Port Ben? What is happening over there? And that should be our great desire. Yet also, this is a great testimony of, of Christ. Because, uh, remember, Christ will also die. He's going to die. In, in, in the narrative here, he's not dead yet. But uh, Lazarus is a picture. Remember, Lazarus is not a, technically a resurrection in the sense that Jesus is. Because Lazarus is going to die again. On the last day, he'll be raised to newness of life. But his life really is a picture 
of what, what will happen to Christ. It's an illustration. As Jesus said in John 10, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. And as Lazarus sort of is this walking billboard of the power of Christ to raise men from the dead, Jesus does the same thing. After he's raised from the dead, he just doesn't go to heaven. He appears to his disciples. And as uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, that not only was he seen by the disciples, in verse 6 he says, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. And after that, James and many others, right? So Jesus, after his resurrection, it's not like he just teleported to heaven and began to communicate to his people only spiritually, but physically he appeared. And he walked among his disciples to prove that he was raised from the dead. And the space of uh, skepticism and unbelief, which we live in the midst of, we have to remember that if the testimony of scripture is sufficient to sustain our faith. The testimony that scripture bears, not only to the miracle performed in Lazarus, but also to the raising of Christ from the dead, what the Bible says for Christian people is sufficient to sustain our faith. Yet there's also, the disciples don't shy away from historical fact. Well, Paul is writing these public letters, it's not like these things were hidden. He's writing openly, and he says that there are 500 people that you can Go find and ask them, hey, did you see, G yeah, we saw him. He was wearing a brown tunic and a whatever, you know, nice slippers. They were able to see him. They had meals with him. They partook with him in food. Now, uh, note also, this, uh, uh, this, Martha is serving. And really, there's a world of instruction, instruction there, right? What is she doing? She uses her gifts to serve her Lord out of gratitude for the grace that was shown to her. She did this before, of course, and she actually, when, when she first, first meets Jesus, she invites him to her house to eat. That's their first meeting. She shows the Lord hospitality, brings him into her home, and she serves him. And then she complains about her sister because <laughs> uh, her sister's not serving with her. But... Um, this, this, um, this picture of Martha, right, again, she's back to her old self, as it were. But not only that, what it shows is that in the Christian life, when, when Christ particularly now, when Christ brings us out of death into life, there should be a service that we perform to him. We should be a people that serve the Lord, that we use our gifts, our talents, our abilities, whatever it is that we have to serve Christ and to serve his people. So, proof of his power. But next you have this proof of his preeminence, how he surpasses all others. And Mary sees it. And I think maybe Mary sees it better than Martha and maybe even better than Lazarus. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Matthew comments that it was a large amount of precious ointment. 
And Mark calls it pure, precious nard, spike nard. And it was a pound of it. So how, 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 how much did this stuff cost? Well, Judas actually knows. And you, the thief would know, right? <laughs> The, the, the thief would know. He said, you could sell it for 300 denarii. And note what one, um, one uh, commentator writes. He says, the value of the perfume must not be estimated according to the modern value of an equivalent amount of silver, but according to the wages and purchasing power. So basically he's saying you have to factor inflation, right? Consider inflation. So one denarius was a daily wage given to a common laborer, right? So let's, 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 let's say you take, a, you know, um, a plumber, right? Plumber makes, let's just round, use round numbers, gets paid 20 bucks an hour, works 40 hours a week, right? 800 bucks a week, and that's not counting overtime or benefits or anything else, right? Just $800 a week times 50, $40,000, right? The sum was enormous. Either Mary and her family were very wealthy, or perhaps this was a family heirloom that had been passed down to her. More than likely, that's what it was. It was a family heirloom. Now, granted, the fact that they had a home, and it was a big enough home to accommodate the, the disciples and Jesus and a bunch of people, because wherever Jesus was, people followed him. And more than likely, maybe they were wealthy, and this may have been part of her inheritance. And she takes it. And in um, Matthew and in Mark, it says that she anoints his head first. So she pours it on his head, which was, this was common. Now, if you did that today, it would be very uncommon. So if I was sitting in your house and you were thankful for the sermon and you started rubbing lotion on my head, you know, it would make me very uncomfortable. <laughs> I, I, again, I would take the food you offered, but I wouldn't want lotion on my head. Um, but this was very common practice. The public anointing of a person by an individual, right, either meant, and we'll, take a, we'll see some examples of this, it either meant if it was uh, somebody of prestige that was anointing you, right, it had a special significance. It, if it was a private individual, what they were doing is they were showing you honor. And then particularly because of the, the cost, she didn't just pour some into the palm of her hand. It was, in a kind of a, it was in a container that was sealed, and once you open it, that's it. You couldn't seal this stuff back up. And she uses all of it, a pound of it, so much so that the odor spreads throughout the house, and everybody can, can smell it. So what, what this is pointing to is her gratitude. And her gratitude for Christ, for, of course, for what he had done for her brother. But now she's coming into a fuller understanding of who she is. And what she does is she gives of all that she has. You know, there are many Christian people who will give some of themselves. But if there is any personal uh, danger or if there is any personal liability, they are unwilling to commit themselves to the Lord Jesus. They'll only do so much. And Mary here, what she does is she puts us to shame. Because she gave of everything she had 
the sum again was enormous. This is, a, this is an act of, of worship. And she is showing that Christ is preeminent above all others. And in the Gospels, Jesus says that what this woman has done will be declared throughout the ages wherever the Gospel is preached. And this story is in uh, three of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and John. But now the symbolism. The symbolism of anointing was, was it was used to bless. Now, it could be to, to bless something or someone of significance. So objects could be anointed. So, for example, Jacob, when he has the dream of the ladder going to heaven and God speaks to him, he anoints the rock that he used as a pillar, right? Because it was of significance to him. But then also priests, kings, and prophets were anointed. And this anointing was in preparation for a ministry that they would have to accomplish, something that they were, were doing. And of course, it points to the anointing of the Spirit, the power from God that they would need to accomplish their task. So for example, in Leviticus 8.12, you have the priest being anointed, the high priest Aaron. So Moses poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed to consecrate him, to set him apart so that he can function as a high priest. Samuel anoints uh, Saul in 1 Samuel 10. Then Saul took a flask of oil and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And even prophets from time to time were anointed. So in 1 Kings 19.16, also, you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And Elisha, Elisha was also anointed, son of Shaphat, of Abel Mahola. You shall anoint as prophet in your place, speaking to Elijah. So these were significant, uh, significant events because they were meant as a sign of God being with the person as they are prepared for a special function particular ministry and what does Jesus say leave her alone she has kept this for the day of my burial in the, in, in, um, in uh, uh, Matthew, yes in Matthew chapter 26 verse 10 he says this why do you trouble the woman for she has done a good work for me and then he adds this in verse 12. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. His disciples have no idea what he's talking about. Nobody in the house knows what he's talking about. They're sitting there thinking, okay. It's not clear to them what he means. And in Mark, he says it. Let her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done this good work for me. Also repeating what Matthew said. But the good work that she's done is she's preparing him for his burial. The significance, the, the significance that Jesus sees in this is that she is preparing me for this special, for this particular ministry, and the ministry is my death. This act of devotion was preparation for his death. But now, as so you have the uh, symbolism, prophets, priests, kings, many others were anointed in this way. You have the significance He's being prepared for really the high point of his ministry. That place in his ministry where 
he's going to die. He's going to die for his people. But there is uh, what you can call a similitude or an imitation. And we ought to imitate this woman by devoting ourselves wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, of course, we can do that monetarily. We can give of the things that we have to Christ. But the primary focus of the passage, yes, it's a large amount. But Jesus doesn't even focus on the large amount. He focuses on the act by the woman, on the thing that she does for him. And that is what we have to look to. What is it, and again... Um, in each station in life that we're called, so this is not a uh, this is not the part of the sermon where I said every, where I teach that everybody has to abandon their homes and become missionaries. I'm not, you know, that's uh, that's like um, unnecessary. But what I mean is this: as a father, for example, as a grandfather, have you devoted yourself to serving Christ in that particular calling? Can 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 the Lord look down from heaven and see your service in those particular areas act as a pouring out of yourself, spending yourself and giving all of yourself to serve Christ in that calling? As a mother, is it that way with you? Have you so spent yourself and poured yourself out and given of yourself in such a way that Christ could look down from heaven and when other people say, you know, why do you trouble yourself about so much? You know, why do you worry so much about your husband and your kids and your house and your this and your that? And, your, and could, could Christ say, leave her alone? As a Christian person, is this what you have done? Have you spent yourself for the sake of his people to the point of inconvenience Right? This, if, if this was part of her inheritance, what did she just do? In the eyes of the disciples even, because they say it. It's a waste. What a waste. That you would take this large sum of money and just waste it this way by anointing his head and even anointing his feet. And the, the anointing of his feet is interesting because in the other gospels, it's not mentioned that she anoints his feet. It's just that she anoints his head. Jesus is going to talk about foot washing in this particular gospel. He doesn't in the other gospels. And this would be done, generally what would happen is the person's feet would be washed and then they would be anointed with oil when they were going to take a very long trip, when they were departing. Uh, because, you know, they didn't have shoes like ours and socks and Gore-Tex boots to protect them from the elements. So the lotion was in preparation for this long trip to protect their feet. And Jesus is going to take a long trip. In essence, he, once he takes his trip, he is never to return the way that they originally met him. But she gives all of herself. And this is uh, the pressing issue. Have we done this as mothers, as fathers, as Christian people? And even as, as something as simple as employees. Like, do you, do you work in such a way where the people around you can actually, are actually uh, interested and intrigued by your devotion to the work? Not because you're a slave to the company. No. 
but because you're a servant of Christ and he has called you to, to work the counter somewhere. Right? He has called you to teach. He's called you to whatever it is, whatever vocation he has called you to. Have you devoted yourself to it in such a way that if men were to trouble you, Jesus say, leave them alone. That devotion is to me. In Zechariah chapter 3, verse 2, when Satan is persecuting God's... Oh, let's, let's turn there. This is a, an interesting passage. In Zechariah chapter 3, so if you go to Matthew, Malachi, and then Zechariah. So go to your left. And it's in Zechariah chapter 3. Joshua the high priest is standing. And Satan is standing and he's opposing him, he's accusing him. He's this is this is, you know, this is part this is Satan's vocation. He's an accuser of the brethren. This is what he has he's been called to do. Verse 1. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. And what is he doing? He's ministering to God's people, right? He's a minister. He's a high priest. And Satan standing at his right hand opposing him. Right? Well, what, what could he have been saying? Right? You're, 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 not, you're not fit for this kind of service. Right? You're, you're, uh, why are you devoting yourself this way to these children? They're, they're not, never going to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ anyways. Why have you given yourself to your grandchildren in this way? You, you can't convert them. You, have you forgot the doctrine of election? Because the devil will do that. He uses the Bible and tries to poke you with false doctrine. But he's, maybe he's saying to Joshua, why are you trying to minister to the people seeing that you are unrighteous and unfit for service? And look at verse, uh, I'll read verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And that's what Mary was. She was a brand. She was plucked from the fires of hell. And her service to God was very special to him. Right? Yes. Uh, I think that at times what happens is we, what we get stuck on is um, a year's worth of wages for a laborer. And people will preach a sermon on that particular thing. But she's wiping his feet with her hair. That, that's, that's, um, she loves Jesus. And the reason she loves him is because he's her Lord. She is seeing that he is the source of eternal life. And I have eternal life because of him. Therefore, this service, where, uh, people may focus on the money, but this is an act of devotion that is pouring out of her heart. It's very, very similar to the woman who had one little mite, less than a penny, and she puts it in the box why does she do that? Because she is fully devoting herself to the Lord God. Everything she has, she wants to give to him. The issue isn't the monetary, it's not money, but the service that is offered. And, but verse 3, what? Joshua was, now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and was standing before the angel. And now he's giving, those filthy garments are taken off, right? And this may be part of what was happening. And she probably heard the disciples she probably, or she was right there. She, she probably heard Judas 
make his statement. And, and she probably thought to herself, maybe that was kind of stupid, right? You know, giving all of this and then um, embarrassing myself, not only by anointing his head, but, but getting down on the floor and washing his feet and anointing his feet, serving him in this way in front of all these people is, is maybe I have just embarrassed myself, but Jesus says no. He defends her. He says, you leave her alone. And uh, wherever the gospel is preached, we hear about Mary's service to the Lord Jesus. When uh, when you serve Christ, you will face embarrassment. So think about something as simple as sharing the gospel with unbelievers. When you're out witnessing to people, and I've, I've done it often, there is a sense of embarrassment that comes upon you. It's like magical. Like you're prepared to share the gospel, right? You're prayed, you're ready, you got your Bible. But then as you engage people in conversation, there's like this, you want to feel embarrassed, right? You don't know what, you start thinking, well, I don't know what to say. And how about if, right, the guy's a molecular biologist and he starts to talk to me about evolution and I don't have all the answers, this flood of embarrassment hits your soul and you know what you should do when that happens? Ignore it. The Lord's in heaven. What he's seeing, what does he see? He doesn't see a fumbling, bumbling uh, fool. He sees one of his servants desiring to pour himself out as a drink offering for the sake of the Lord. So it doesn't matter what the world thinks. So, so if you're out anywhere and that happens, or even if you're standing, as, as I have been talking about, let, let, let's say you're standing at a school board meeting. Let's say you're standing at, um, I don't know, what a town hall meeting. And you, you speak as a Christian person, as a private citizen, but as a Christian person, there should be no sense of embarrassment. To think to yourself, well, what kind of repercussions will I face? Well, you know, will I get a flat tire next time I go to Walmart for opening my mouth? (laughs) You shouldn't be embarrassed about those things. Why? Because the Lord is for us. We're brands plucked from the fire for a specific purpose. The Lord intends to use us. If, If Christ has saved you and there in your life there is no service to him and no devotion to him, can I offer you uh, some uh, insight? You might not be a Christian. And remember what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about in your callings as a, as a father, mother, grandparent, daughter, son, right? So I'm not only talking about doing evangelism or Bible studies. Right? I'm talking about every sphere and aspect of your life. It's are they devoted to the Lord Jesus and to serving him? And are you pouring yourself out and spending yourself to such a degree that it's noticeable? Not for the applause of men, but for the sake of Christ, for the worship of Christ. What that does is it puts on display not only his power in saving you, but his preeminence. And particularly what you believe about him. That he is sufficient, not only he is sufficient, he, is, he surpasses all others. He is greater than all. Therefore, my service must be greater to him than to any person. 
In light of these things, let's uh, pray. And uh, baptisms. We're having two baptisms today. We're baptizing Lucas. And we're baptizing Jonathan. So, uh, I'll pray. And then uh, uh, Keith is going to speak briefly about, well, I don't know how briefly, but he's going to speak about baptism. He's going to speak about baptism. And then we're going to go down to the creek by the bridge over here. And we're going to baptize both of them. And, uh, what? Down to the, I guess it's the river. It was this creek. <laughs> we're going to go down over here where the bridge is. We're going to baptize both of them. And uh, that's it. So let me, yeah. Uh, we'll figure that out. Let me pray and then we'll figure it out. Yeah. Oh, you want, do, what do you think? I think you do your thing first and then he'll talk. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this display of, of Christ's power as um, men and women flock to see uh, the work that he had done in Lazarus. Lord, I pray that you would draw many to yourself because of the work that you're doing here. We also, Lord, uh, thank you for this display of service and preeminence that is shown by Mary anointing the Lord. And we ask that you would help us, Lord, to serve you in like manner, that there would be a similitude, a likeness of our service to you, Lord. May we learn this from Mary. Help us to do these things for your glory and for our good. Amen.